I've been burned in the past about like pivoting in recruitment, uh, not pivoting actually, um, because of the way like some agencies are set up that I've worked in. You've got your niche, and that's your niche, and there isn't room to yeah. maneuver. And um, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've ever been in that situation. I think, I think because my career started in finance and accounting, that that's always been sort of my go-to. Like that's always been always been my bread and butter. And, and going back to what I said before, in a in a good economy, everybody needs an accountant. And then in a bad economy, people need accountants. So there's sort of this consistency in the world of accounting and finance. Um, but you know, different businesses that, that I have run. Yeah, there's been a need to maybe change our operating model, not not to the point where we completely change sector, but change the services that we're offering or how we're offering it. Yeah, we we had to do that at, at, during COVID. So yeah, there's there's times where you have to be agile enough to to be able to do that, um, or it just it just gets harder and harder. Yeah, do you have like? Do you have like regular refreshes? Do you have like checkpoints? I know like once a quarter you look at how things are going or is it just a, like an on-the-fly thing? Oh, mate, I think, for, for, well, for me now, right, Forge Talent, um, we've been going since June. Um, so like, I'm into the detail every single day <laughs> because because it's my baby, right? And I'm, I'm working with, with Riz and Adam and Joe. Um, like into the detail every day. Like, I, I, not to the point where... It's KPIs, the, the dreaded word that everybody gets scared of. Um, but I'm always reviewing stuff, like reviewing, you know, my personal stuff, like what have I what have I been doing today? Like what's the market trend? Like what's the analysis? And we do that as a group, like every week where we're looking at different stuff to try and help us propel this business forward as 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 quickly as possible. Historically, again, other businesses that I've been in, yeah, it's been weekly, monthly, quarterly always looking at different trends again because if, if if you don't have that that time to to be able to reflect and analyze stuff then you are just doing it on the fly and in my experience when you do it on the fly things become really challenging really quickly yeah yeah absolutely i, I think you know it's the whole thing of like continuous improvement as well isn't it just constantly analyzing what you do how you do it um and if you don't well, mate, like, it comes down to it. sorry I was just gonna say it comes down to marginal gains, right? You want to get that that one percent better, like every single day, every single week, every month, every quarter. It's like, well, well how how do you do that? Like, you've got to look at data, you've got to look at trends, you've you've got to be analysing, because um, if you don't, you you're just just teeing yourself up to to be average, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely, mate. Totally agree. Well, before we get into the nitty gritty, because I've already got out five questions I want to ask you off, off the off off that. Um, yeah. Could you just like give everyone who who might not know who you are an overview of, of who you are, what you do, and just like a an, uh, a bit about your journey? Because I know you've got quite an interesting journey. So. Yeah, yeah of course, mate. Um, so look, I've been in the recruitment industry for. For, for 12 years, um, started off with, with Robert Half, um, large corporate US listed business, and um, started as a, as a trainee transactional recruiter, um, transactional finance recruiter, um, and over a seven year period, um, went to associate director running businesses in Edinburgh, Glasgow, um, 
and then moving into or relocating to Manchester to, to rebuild the Manchester business. Um, after deciding that the, the corporate way of life had sort of uh, taken taken its toll, for want of a better phrase, I decided to, to, to make a bit of a change and move to a, a smaller to medium-sized business in, in, in Manchester um, with a with a plan to rebuild their Manchester business, then take the reins of, of their London business and help push that forward. Um, so did that for, for sort of four, four and a bit years. Um, and then this year decided that it was time to uh, to, to go into business with a, with a group of like-minded people and launch uh, launch Forge Talent. Um, not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, recruitment is recruitment, but I'm very vocal about this topic. Um, everybody is very transactional in our industry, um, and we want to be a go-to uh, go-to agency where it's driven by relationships and, and partnerships first. So, tagline, um, you know, relationships, not transactions. So that's that's me in a, in a bit of a nutshell, mate. Yeah, awesome. So I know obviously we, we we talked about this before the podcast, but you obviously like you moved into a leadership role quite young, right? So could you chat yeah. a little bit about that and like what you've learned? You know, accelerate. You know, accelerating quite quickly into a leadership role at a young age, and any sort of like mistakes or anything you would have changed through that journey. Yeah, of course, mistakes. There's loads. Right, I could probably write a book on it. Um, something I'll definitely not do in the future. Um, but um, I was very fortunate that yeah, I was given an opportunity at Robert Half to to move into a management role, but really early on. Um, and then opportunity just became the next opportunity, the next opportunity. And there was a great leadership team that were always trying to take me out of my comfort zone and push me. Um, and there was support. But it was it was it was definitely like fight or flight. Um, so, it, like in, in terms of in terms of some of, some of the learnings, um, look, there's there's a plethora of them. Um, I think again, I've been quite vocal on the topic um, that billing managers in recruitment it, it's the hardest job in the industry. Like mm. you're presented with, like I've never I've, in most cases I've never managed before. Um, I've been a decent biller or I've been a top performer. Can you just go and show people what to do? Um, and it's, you're in that place where you're now responsible for people. You're now responsible for taking them on a journey. Oh, but by the way, you've also still got a bill. Um, and we still expect you to continue the level of billings that you have been doing um, whilst you're growing a team. So there's loads of challenges that that present itself. It's, very quickly, you've got to understand like what what may, motivates Max Learmonth or or, or or David Rolls might not motivate the rest of the people in the team because um, everybody's mm. different, right? Everybody has different feelings, different motivators, different ambitions. So you've got to quickly work that out. Um, following on from that, you've you've got to um, wear different hats for different people, um, and you can't drive people in the same way. Like you can't just bash on about KPIs, KPIs, KPIs. Sorry, people, they do have their importance, parts of parts of them. Um, so it's, you've just got to quickly, like, get into the detail, going back to what we were speaking about a little bit earlier, but how can you drive people forward in the right way, um, but through understanding their, motiv- their motivations? Um, but behind it all, you need, you need two more things, in my opinion. You, you need to have patience, 
um, because the way you would do something might not be the way someone else does it. Um, and you need to be given time. Um, you need to be given time by the, by the business to make those mistakes, to get things wrong. Um, when I was relocated from, from Edinburgh to Manchester, those first couple of months, like I was like, what on earth am I doing? Like I've, I've left a successful desk, a successful team. And now I'm in a, in a new city, new environment. Um, this, this Scottish lad can't tell by the accent. Now it's completely gone. Um, in a, in a, in a new environment. And I got so much wrong. Um, I just reverted back to well. If I love KPIs, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna push people. I'm just gonna push, 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 push. That's that's not the way to be. So so going back to it, David, it's you've got to understand people's motivations. Um, you've got to manage every single person in a different way. Um, you've got to be patient. You've got to be given time. You've got to take people on a journey. So you've got to have a you've got to have a vision behind it. Whether it's you're managing a small team. Um, or you're managing your own business, like you've got to be able to talk to people about the story and talk to people about the vision and journey that they're going to go on with you. How did you sort of like learn about all this then? Because obviously, you know, there's so many different ways to learn to be a manager and not everyone's should be a manager. I know there's a lot of recruitment and sales yeah. managers out there where, you know, people who, who are being managed by them probably think, actually, um, this person probably shouldn't be a, should be managing people but how did you sort of learn about them was it just like trial and error or did you have any did you have a mentor or like no look it was it, i think it was a combination a combination of things the 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 individual um phil sheridan who gave me the opportunity to move from edinburgh to manchester he was he was extremely supportive um and he was a he was a big advocate of mine at the time and was constantly giving me giving me opportunities um the the other chap that I was working really closely with was a chap called Ed O'Connell, extremely supportive, like taught me things that that I that I didn't know about. Like my financial understanding had to really quickly like develop, like the strategy behind things had to really quickly develop. Like you talk about, you know, your risk, your compliance, like HR, like they really, really helped me get a grasp of that stuff. Mm. Um but fundamentally I I I was a biller, so I had to learn through trial and error because I, I was making mistakes with people really early on. Um, and that was, you know, when I got to the end of that journey with, with, with Robert Half, um, it was, it was purely, I needed to try something new because I'd been in that big corporate business. Um, and I had made a load of mistakes. I probably would have continued to, to make mistakes in that type of environment. And I, needed to become a, a well-rounded, you know, manager, business leader, whatever, whatever you want to call, call it. Um, you need to, you need to do things through trial and error. And then at some point you need to try new things as well. Yeah. Do you think then, cause um, I know it's like, everyone always says that bidding managers is anyone who's done the job knows how difficult it is. I've done it. It's, it's, I found it not impossible, but just like a really great way to burn out. And um, yeah. I know there's like, like one of my, one of my favorite sales trainers um, uh, is Mike Weinberg. Um, he's got this really good book called um, Sales Management Simplified. And he he basically makes the case in that book that it you just shouldn't do it. Like it just shouldn't be. If it basically you should just if you're going to have a manager, they should just manage. Yeah. Or, but you shouldn't have a billing manager basically because like you said it's it's just 
it's such an incredibly difficult job and you sort of end up doing potentially either the management slightly poorer or your billings get affected like what's your opinion on that then like do you do you feel like there is a place for it or do you feel like it just you you just need to make someone a manager and not have them involved in billing i think from a recruitment perspective um i think you need to have a billing manager i i think you need to have people that can not necessarily show people how to do it but can lead from the front day in day out like recruitment is a sales job right and if you're looking at your manager and they're not billing or they're, or they're not hitting target or they're not performing, it's quite uninspiring. So, mm. so for me, I always wanted to, to have somebody to, to look at, to be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow that person. I, I'm going to, I was fortunate. I've had some great managers over, over my career that I was able to look at them and be like, right, those individuals lead from the front day in, day out. Like they, they show people what to do. They take people on a journey through coaching, mentoring, managing, all of all of the above, billing manager needs to be a really good player coach, um, and, and I think for for the recruitment industry, they're they're really really important. Yeah, it's it is a tricky one. If isn't they, it? If, if, I was sorry, mate. I was going to say if they want to do it, like mm. if they want to do that job, where businesses get it wrong is they force a top performer into that environment um, or, or into that role. And that's not right for them. It might be easier for the business to do that because the business is thinking, we'll just get everybody to copy you. But then going back to, to what I was saying earlier, that 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 just doesn't work. So it's it's got to be, if, if that person wants to move into that role, um, then they should get the full support of that business and, and, and away you go. Yeah, I, th- I think you're totally right there because that is like, that's the stereotypical move, isn't it? Like career move. You sort of, you're a top biller, so you move up into a lead role and then you move up into a management role. And then suddenly you've got, that's how you get, that's basically how you get managers who shouldn't be managers, isn't it? Because a lot of them don't even want to be a yeah. manager. Like I've, I've seen it before where some of the best billers I've, I've, I've worked with, um, excellent recruiters. Um, and it's weird because they've got good people skills with, with the candidates and the clients, but they don't doesn't necessarily translate over to actually managing their their team. Yeah. And then they sort of default back to what well, works for me, so it's going to work for you. And like you said, you've got to sort of like be a a chameleon to a degree, haven't you? Yeah, of course you do. It goes 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 back to what I've just said, mate. It's that it's that player coach type of type of um, type of scenario that you want to have. Um, yeah, but it it did go back to what you said. It's it's got to be what they want to do. They can't be they can't be forced into it. There's not there's nothing worse than you do that. Um, I have definitely got that wrong. By the way, I've forced people previously into management roles that they were probably only taking the management role on because I was asking them to, and it it wasn't right for them. It wasn't right. It wasn't right for the team that they were going to be managing. And going back to trial and error. Learned the, learned the hard way in some in some cases yeah you're obviously quite vocal on um on social media about like like you said earlier things you feel like should be changed in the recruitment industry and i feel like this is something you could probably talk about for a while <laughs> so where are you at and and like what's your perspective on the recruitment industry what do you feel like needs to be changed and where do you feel like the industry needs to move over the next few years yeah um 
Good question. Um, yeah, look, I, I am pretty pretty vocal on this. I think I, I had a, I had a DM yesterday from somebody saying my content was like Marmite. Um, so, um, so, so look, I love the recruitment industry, by the way. Um, like, I think it's incredible. Um, I love the fact that it's it's a career that you can you can get into with you know let's call it as it is without a degree. Like, you can go straight from school. Um, and the fast track that you can have, um, I don't think you can get in many other industries. Um, so from that point of view, look, I, I absolutely love it. Um, and I wouldn't be, have been in it for as long as I have if, 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 I, if I didn't think like that. Mm. However, um, there is a lot of stuff going on in the industry and it, it's, it's, it's been happening for a long time, but it's probably more prevalent in, in the last couple of years where new starters in the industry aren't getting trained properly. Um, there's no formal learning and development plans for, for these people. There's no management training plans for people that are moving into moving into management roles. Um, there's no there's no coaching. And in my experience, there's a there's a lot of people out there that are just getting told to spam the database. Um, send out mass mail shots, mass specs. Um, how are you gonna build a relationship um, or long-term effective partnership? If that's all you are doing, um, the, the changes that, that that need to happen is for, it starts with the business leaders. Like we have to be, you know, implementing robust training, learning and development, you know, management management training. Um, we have we have to be taking all of our people on a journey. It can't just be be about making a quick fee um, and 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 moving on. Um, the industry has become extremely transactional. Um, and there are some amazing businesses out there that aren't operating that way. Um, but there is still a high percentage of, of, of businesses that, that are doing that. So, so for me, we need to try and have a shift away from that. And it's, it, it's got to be around um, driving relationships and partnerships, like giving first-class customer service to our candidates and our clients. Um, it's it's pretty simple, but for for a whole host of reasons, it just isn't happening in the industry. Yeah, it's recruitment has such a bad reputation, doesn't it? And like when you go up to someone at like a barbecue and stuff, and you say I'm a recruiter, you can almost see people like cringe a little bit. It, I suppose it's like yeah, similar to like car salesmen in the eighties, maybe something like that, or like stockbrokers, where people sort of aware of the industry somewhat but there's such a stigma around it because like you said so many people have been burned by recruiters and it's it's almost like that slapdash approach like you said like there's what what do you reckon can actually be done though because i know like you said you know training and stuff um in, in your eyes what what does that look like? Like, do you, do you, are you providing resources? Are you getting someone in to do it like regularly? Or do you feel like there needs to be like something else stepping? Cause uh, like included, because one thing I've sort of played around with my head, which I've sort of been wondering about it actually, since I started recruitment because the barrier is so low, which is great. It's one of the main things about recruitment that, that I love. Like you said, you know, you can um, have no degree and then be earning more than a doctor, which is mad. Yeah. Um but 
I wonder if like we'll get to a point where there's like a certification you have to do or something. Do you know what I mean? Like still fairly low barrier, but at least there's a standard to be held by. And I know there's some organizations out there that sort of do this kind of stuff, but I'm really curious yeah. to, to get your thoughts on like where you think the industry can and should move in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think you've touched on it already. I think Luke, you, you, you look on LinkedIn um, and there are some superb people on there um, from external training providers, from mentoring programs, from, from leadership development, for new starter recruiters. Um, I think as, as, a, as a business, you've got to be looking externally. Um, look, Forged Talent is, you know, we're, we're, we, we are in our infancy, but as we, as we grow, um, I already know there's going to be people that I'm going to be getting in touch with to say, look, can you help us with X, Y, Z? Um, so clearly you need to have your internal training there. Um, but I think there's so many fantastic external people that, that businesses could be using um, who have got fantastic recommendations, who've got fantastic backgrounds. It's like, why, okay, why not use those people? Well, the only reason you wouldn't is because of cost, but it's an investment in your people. Mm. Going, going back to what you said, could there be a, an accreditation as such? I had an interesting chat with, with somebody last week around, could you regulate the industry? Now, now clearly that's not my background. I, I, I don't know if that, that could or couldn't be done, but it was quite an interesting topic just to sit there and think, okay, the barrier to entry is, is low to come into the industry. We want to keep it that way, but how do we make it professional um, or even more professional? Um, how do we make it about um, you know, being a consultant or be, having a consultative approach? I'm sure there are steps and measures that 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 could be put in that could be put in place. Um, I think you know there are there are lots of things out there like your your net promoter score, your Glassdoor reviews, your your LinkedIn recommendations. These are sort of things that if I was to be going to look for for a role tomorrow within you know within the industry, I would be looking at those things before I even interview. Um, to you know, do my homework, do my research, um, mm. and if I'm a candidate or client, and I'm potentially going to be working with a recruiter, I'm going straight to the LinkedIn profile to see how many LinkedIn recommendations they've got, to see what people are saying about them. I'm going to Google reviews, Glassdoor reviews. I'm looking at all of these things to 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 try and build a picture of the individual that I'm going to be working with. Um, so there, there's some of the things that can be put in place. I don't think it's something that's going to be fixed over the next 12 months in any way, shape or form, um, because there are some businesses that have that mass spam approach and it works for them. Look, I get it, but that's not recruitment. That's recruitment administration. Like that's spamming, that's working on portals, all that sort of stuff. That, that's not true recruitment, um, in my yeah. opinion. Um, yeah. Do you follow um, Mitch yeah, Sullivan on LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah, so he, I, I followed him for a while. I think, yeah, I read his book, and I think he mentioned in his book, like, um, he, the approach you were talking about, I think he calls it like candidate trading, not recruitment. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what he calls it. Yeah. And um, it's that whole thing of like, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one, recruitment, because it's, it's sort of like, all the issues, obviously they come from agencies, but they also sort of come from client behavior and then 
to some degree candidate behavior as well don't they and they all sort of feed into yeah. themselves like oh yeah well the client fucks us around so we're gonna fuck them around and the candidate's like well recruiters fucked me around before so i'll fuck them around which fucks the client around and then we sort of get into this vicious cycle and it's quite hard to sort of stop it and then everyone's moaning about each other on on linkedin and it sort of drives this yeah. negative negative toxic behavior um when the reality is like i know i know there's some bad recruiters out there but there's some bad everything out there there's some bad doctors out there, there's bad engineers out there, there's bad brickies yeah. out there that will screw you over and build your conservatory that falls down in a few months you know but yeah recruitment gets this like in my opinion anyway i, th- I, I think the reason recruitment's a bit unique in that sense is everyone has contact with a recruiter in some way shape or form unless they're self-employed but they still might you know, they, yeah. they still won't say they're self-employed if they're scaling right so it's like it's just, it's sort of like the car salesman thing like most people drive cars and so therefore you're having to, to deal with these car salesmen and there's obviously a lot yeah. of them out there low barrier to entry good money etc etc so same sort of story um we, you you sort of touched on it there this is this is something as as well that sort of come up in conversation with a few people i've been speaking to um and it, it is a tricky one but if you were like out, outside of doing like glass door research and that sort of thing what what like you know three or four questions if you were like a hiring company would you ask a recruiter to try and understand if they're actually good you know if they're actually going to provide you yeah. good service oh so if I, so if, so if i'm a company and i'm and I'm, yeah. I'm I'm asking. Um, first thing, first thing I'm I'm asking is um, like client client testimonials. Um, like, can you provide me with client testimonials? Um, if 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 you do, great. I'm, I'm going to go one step further. Um, can you provide me with a with a client's mobile number or email address that you've worked with previously? Um, that wouldn't mind having a having a conversation. Um, the other thing I'm asking is. Can you can you point to um, like the most recent search, like you know if it is exact search, or can you point to your most recent placement? Talk me talk me through that. Um, and then the other thing I'm asking is is going back to what we said right at the start, um, like market trends, analysis, um, job titles, level of tenure, qualification, salary. Um, I'm asking I'm asking all of those things to to get an understanding. Is this person actually a specialist in the world of technology recruitment mm. or the world of accounting and finance recruitment? Um, or are they just out there trying to make a quick buck, quick transaction? Because do do they know what they're talking about? Um, and, you know, in my experience at the minute, there's, there's not a lot of people um, out there that, that can showcase all of those things. Um, there's also... Again, not a huge amount of people that that are actually doing face to face meetings with 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 clients and candidates. So, so going back to that that customer service, it's like if I'm the recruiter, I'm trying to get in front of that business or that individual as as soon as, and I should be showcasing all of those things. Like I shouldn't be getting asked those questions. Um, I, I should be able to point to X Y Z on 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 why you should work with me. Mm. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like that is actually something that would really help the industry without without changing the recruiters because there obviously are loads of good recruiters out there, right? And if everyone only ever works with recruiters, 
yeah this is the thing like they're good people as well like genuinely good people i would say most recruiters i know are good people especially ones that have been in the industry a while but company hiring companies need to take some sort of the blame in terms of like their own experience bad experiences in my opinion i think there needs to be some sort of accountability there because rather than just blaming all oh, recruiters are scumbags recruiters aren't doing a good job etc okay cool how have you vetted them well yeah. i think the reality is most of them don't they they get specked in a candidate they go well that candidate looks good jump on a call with them what's your terms 15 percent all right and then and then just and then suddenly they're on the psl and then they've got seven agencies eight agencies who then spam them cvs and then because of the yeah. way the they treat the agencies you know, if you're up against eight or nine agencies, you just, you can't. How can you possibly justify spending a lot of time on that job? It's it's dumb, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, we're talking about the clients. Clients taking ownership again. Like the the recruiter at that point is has got to be asking loads of questions. It's like, how long has the vacancy been out there? Like, how many agencies are 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 you currently working with? What have you done up to this point? Like. Is it on every job board under the sun? Like you've got to be, you've got to be asking all all these questions. Like, are there any internal candidates? Like, why are you working at fifteen percent? Oh, it's because the other seven or eight agencies they all agreed to that. Great, but you've just told me the role's been live for three months and you've had two people offered and not accept. So, like, it it's it goes it goes back to like there's got to be questioning from the client on why they should use the recruiter, but then the recruiter has got to be pushing back on the client and and. Going, going through the motions on, on this sort of stuff to to really get into the nitty-gritty. And then a good recruiter um, is then going to lay out what the non-negotiables are from, from their side. Um, it's not right. This is what the terms are. This is the timeline of events. This is what the process is going to look like. Does all that sound great? Well, of course, you're going to want to work with that person rather than someone who's going to spec you somebody who might not actually be a real candidate. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, that's, that shady stuff does still go on. Um, to to get your foot in the door, so it's it, there's got to be ownership. There's got to be ownership on everyone, right? There's got to be ownership on candidates as well, right? They've got to know who they're who they're working with, um, and vice versa. So, but it, it's 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 getting into the detail. Yeah, it's like having that structure and that process as well, which obviously comes back to like L and D and and getting those foundation and um, blocks in the in the first place, so people aren't just constantly winging things, right? And on that note, I know you've mentioned yeah. this before, but you, you're a big fan of cold calling, right? You, you actually love it. You're one of the rare people that actually loves it. <laughs> I absolutely love cold calling. Like, I, like I do. I, I, I really enjoy it. Um, look, Riz, Adam and Joe that, that, that I'm working with at, at, at Forge, they absolutely love it as well. Um, I love picking up the phone to somebody who has absolutely no idea who I am and I've got a very short amount of time to extend that conversation. I get like a weird kick out of that. Like I, I get a really weird buzz out of that. And then when it starts to develop, it's like, right, brilliant. Now I've got you engaged. Now we're actually talking. Can I come and meet you for a coffee? And it's like, brilliant. Like that's where a relationship starts to build. Can I jump on a Teams? That's where that relationship starts to develop. You can't do those things on email. Like, mm. and if you can, please somebody like give me a call like my mobile number's on linkedin and tell me how you can do that via email um 
It's the, the cold call element is how you start the relationship, but it's how you learn about people. It's how you learn about new businesses. Um, yeah. Gone off on a tangent there, mate, but yeah, I love cold calling. No, it's, it's, it's really interesting because it's, it's sort of like the flavor of the month at the moment. And though I am absolutely a big fan of like an omni-channel approach, I, I, I personally feel like you should try and do everything to a high degree um, because you, you know, different people, like being communi- communi- communicated with differently right however yeah cold calling is without a doubt when done right and that's the key thing because so many people are so awful at it but when done correctly is the quickest way you can speak to someone build a relationship with them and get in front of them to then further explain your services so for someone who's you know obviously had mass success with doing it um first thing i want to ask you because there'll be so many people listening to this who will be d- dealing with this. How do you get over cold call anxiety? Good question. Look, I just quickly rolling back. Um, cold, call, cold calling was something I was always I'd had always done earlier on in my career. From 2017, when I relocated to Manchester and, and my, my role essentially became a, a non-billing role, I hadn't done a huge amount of it. Um, and I would do it now and again to, to help people help the team. Launching Forge Talent, it was like, I'm going to have to cold call again. And this has been a while. Like, this, this, this has been a minute. So I got that anxiety as well. Very quickly, I had to give my head a wobble and get over myself. Because if I've got three guys that I'm working with that, like, love cold calling, like, are, are really quickly going to bill... And and I founded this business and I'm not doing it myself. Like something's something's wrong. So so I had to just jump in with both feet. But um you how do you how do you get over it? How how I think it, it's a really a really good question, mate. It's all in the preparation. Now I know some people, you know, in the market believe that you shouldn't do any prep um before you call call. Just jump straight in. Um personally, my opinion. I think you, you need a bit of prep. Like you need to know who you're calling. You need to know why you're calling them. Um, you need to know if they're a decision maker. So I still, still to this day, like the night before, 45 minutes, um, I plan who I'm calling the next day. Um, and I've looked, it's like, are they CFO, FD, FC, within a, within a type of business that I want to work with? And I'll have a quick look at the LinkedIn profile, have a look at the website, make sure I know what the business does. Um, so that when I when I jump into my, my calls in the morning, it's it's I'm not like a deer in the headlight type of stuff. Um, so th- there's that. I think the other thing you've got to think about is what what's the worst that's going to happen, right? Mm. They're going to hang up on you. Might tell you to bugger off. Okay. Um, you might never speak to that person again. Okay. So jump in. Like jump in, and I think you can also have a bit of a laugh with it, with with your introduction, right? And um, my introduction is no different to those people that that talk about it on LinkedIn. I literally jump in, say who I am, tell them it's a cold call, and say, look, if you want to hang up, just go for it. Um, and as soon as there's a little bit of an awkward silence, I just jump straight back in. Um, and sometimes they'll laugh, sometimes they'll just say, look, it's not for me. Um, but most people give you the time of day. Um, it's not how it was like 10, 11 years ago. Like 10, 11 years ago, people were really rude. 
uh, like they they would tell you to do one and hang up. Um, whereas now I think people people understand more um, what a recruiter can offer, what a recruiter can do for you if it's relevant. Um, mm. So more often than not, they give, they give you the time of day. Um, but look, I had that anxiety like day one, and I was like, got a cold call again. Um, mm. just jump in with both feet, have some fun with it. So you mentioned there, so because one of the most popular uh, like openings now is like a pattern interrupt, right? So it's like a permission based opening. Um, you know, lots of people in tech sales and a lot of sales trainers use the whole. Um, you know, this is actually a sales call. Do you want to hang up now? Let me steal 30 seconds. Do you do that on every call then? Yeah, so every, look, I'm building relationships with people, right? So like not 24, not every single call that I'm doing. I was going to say 24 hours in a day. I do not work 24 hours a day, right? That is, that's that's a load of rubbish. Um, but so there's parts of my day now where it's, look, I'm, I'm delivering for clients. So these are people that I'm starting to build relationships with. So but yeah, the, the ones that are, a, that are genuine, proper cold call, literally, it's Max Limith here from Force Talent. This is what we do. Look, this is a cold call. Feel free to hang up. Um, since we launched in June, I've not had many people hang up. Like, so it's, people are genuinely more polite than, than, than they used to be. So um, yeah. yeah, that... That, that that just works for me. Um, Riz, Adam, and Joe—they're doing really similar, um, and it's it's working for them as well. Yes, yeah, it's. it's I, I've got a theory around this because because I've been doing cold calling since like when I start twenty eleven. Cold cold call center for Southern Electric, and I was selling electrical wiring insurance, five pounds per sale, threading stuff, and it was like. I, I didn't know how to cold call at the time, but I, I I feel like cold calling and sales generally has evolved quite a lot over the last like 12 years yeah. or so. And I think I personally think, I don't know what you think of this, but I personally think with, with the evolution of the internet, with the evolution of social media and, and, and transparency generally, right? Because everyone's accessible now and you can also call people out on their bullshit quite easily as well that you sort of have to be you have to be a bit careful in how you present yourself because like you know you can sort of you can build your reputation up on social media but someone can tear you down very easily as well if you were to be a bit of a a bit of a knob whereas in like you know the 80s and 90s you know think of the wolf of wall street like you could get away with stuff like that and nobody would find out again um and people were just looking for like Everyone's busier than ever, right? Everyone's getting more emails than ever. I saw a screenshot the other day of like, I think it was this morning or yesterday. Um, someone was 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 talking about like cold calling, the benefits of cold calling, and then emailing. And obviously, emailing is like the popular thing at the moment. Email sequences and all that. But they sent a screenshot yeah. of their inbox, and it was just like, this is what you're competing with. And they had like 18 emails that morning. Um. Whereas people just want you to get to the point now, don't you think? Like, it's like that attention span thing yeah. and the authenticity thing. Well, they 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 want to know they want they want to really quickly know is this person credible? Can like what they're selling like can it actually solve a problem? Like, is it is it a solution? Um, like, is it is it relevant? That's what we want to know. 
that doesn't surprise me. I probably would, I would have thought that that number would have been even higher of that screenshot that you got um, or that you got sent um, because everybody is into email sequencing. Look, it's great. I get it. Totally understand. Um, but a lot of people hide behind it. They they hide behind email. Um, whereas that person that got that screenshot, it's like if you've picked up the phone to that person, like you're going to be the differentiator. You're going to be the, the different person there. So probably going to give you the time of day because they're certainly not going to reply to 18 emails. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the key things that people need to take away is that you you are actually a differentiator by cold calling, which sounds mad, especially for people who've been doing for a while. Yeah. Why why do you think that is then? Because I know you obviously you've got you know you, you've obviously got a large network within recruitment. Um, from what I'm hearing is that you know a lot of new recruiters who sort of joined during COVID, like the last two three years, you see it a lot on social media. People talking about how um, the new recruiters, Gen Z recruiters, if you want to call them that, is uh, like they don't want to pick up the phone. And the actual volume yeah. of cold calls people are getting now is, is smaller. Are, are you seeing that y- yourself as well? Like, yeah, I, yeah, certainly. Look, I've certainly heard that previously. Um, I think COVID did have a massive impact on it. You know, if we're, if we're going to be open and transparent here, the year we came out of COVID, everybody got a warm shower with with their billings. Everybody was higher. Uh, everybody was hiring businesses. Um, everybody could make a placement. Everybody could mass spam. Um, salaries were overinflated, so people's billings were overinflated. Like year out of COVID, like it was pretty easy. Like if we're if we're going to be honest, and somebody who would bill 180k normally in a year was probably billing 250, 260. Um, so it's it gave people a warm shower, and they were able to do it via email. Um, I also think it goes back to my earlier point around new recruiters coming in. Where's that player coach? Like, where's that? Mm. Where's that leadership that are, are on the tools that are, are showing them how to do it? Um, and you know, where's the training program? Where's the L and D? Like all, all that good stuff. But where, where are the people that are, that are taking them on that journey to, to to show them what a good call looks like? To show them what a bad call looks like? Um, are are they there? Question mark. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in. I'm not in other businesses. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a combination of that. So that now, when you know markets have been tighter, like within technology, within sales, within marketing, within HR, those those markets have have suffered over the last sort of twelve months. Um, those people then don't know how to feed themselves. They've just got. They've they've been able to get away with with sending out mass mail shots and emails for for a period of time, and they're not even showing how to do the research anymore on on, um, you know, utilizing the different technology tools to see who is hiring. You know, they're not they're not picking up the phone to candidates to identify information. They're not, you know, spotting trends, analysis, you know, just market intel because it's been done because it's been done via via email. So. There's now a reluctance to get on the phone, but it comes back to you. Well, they've not been shown how to do it. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I think this happens quite a lot, isn't it? Is is the whole like 
hunter farmer thing where sometimes you get farmers in a hunting job i.e trying to win new business when really they should just be sort of account managers it's just either they don't know how to do it or they don't want to do it do you do you guys are yeah. you 360 then you guys or do you have the 180 model all 360 um, what do you so think of the 180 model then i think it works for um different businesses clearly like it, it, it works for some of the larger corporate businesses it it works where you have got that business development manager who's just out there winning business and that's all they want to do and then you've got a delivery model behind it i totally understand why people would have that um former place i worked at we we tried it on a number of large projects so there was myself and a couple of people a couple of other people that were out there winning large large um large projects to deliver on predominantly technology and we we built a delivery team um it didn't work for us but i think that's because one i probably no not probably honestly i wasn't that bought into it from from day one um so that more than likely fed through um and you know it, it just it just didn't it didn't work out um it's whereas you know if if myself and the other people were picking up these projects we pro- we should have just delivered on it um rather than think you know we're just going to go out there and win projects we we probably got delusions of grandeur and um, we'll go out and we'll just win big projects and we've got this delivery team who will just deliver on it yeah pay us your money up front um and and we'll and we'll, and we'll have people that just deliver on it. it it didn't work for me that's not to say I would never be open to it again in the future. But I personally prefer working with hunter-gatherers, um, that 360 model. It's sort of how I was uh, brought into recruitment and how I was how I was raised. Um, yeah, uh, uh, we will continue to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, 360, in my opinion, and you might disagree with me, but I think 360 recruiters are actually quite rare like real 360 recruiters, good 360 recruiters. Um, and it's quite hard to identify who's going to do well in that 360 role. Like, do you have, obviously you've done a lot of recruitment and growing teams. Do you have any particular way or any tips for people trying to grow a team of how to identify if someone's actually going to be up for that 360 role, if they're going to be able to like, you know, manage the madness of, of, of account management, sourcing, and business development at the same time? I think it goes back to data analysis, trends, ratios, doesn't it? Like if, if we if we relook at it, I think first and foremost, that person's got to be trained how to do it. They've they've got to have a player coach. They've got to have somebody that's, you know, driving them or driving with them um, and, and helping them go through each, each phase of the phase of the recruitment cycle. Like that's, that's got to be paramount. But, you know, once they've, and you've got to give people time, right? So, but once you get to a point where, you know, they've been in the business six months, um, you've got to be looking at look, how many, how many, you know, net new clients are they meeting per month? How many candidate registrations are they doing per month? How many job orders, like proper job orders, are they producing each month? And, and what, what is that, what does that fill ratio then look like um, or not look like? Um, and then it's, I suppose it's going down to or going back to understanding what that person's motivations are. Like, is this actually what they want, what they want to do? Like, do they enjoy it? Um, because if, if they enjoy it, they want to do it. They've got a player coach. Um, 
they're, they're doing all of the right things. They're displaying all the right behaviors. Like the, the metrics are there. It'll come good. They just need to be given time. Um, but if those things aren't there and they're not enjoying it, well, then, you know, that manager or that leader's got to gotta make a decision. Um, and it's probably the right decision for that person. And it might be that person needs to go into a 180 role. Might be that person needs to go into an internal talent acquisition role. You've hired that person for a reason. You've seen something in that person. Give them the best opportunity. Like give them the best chance of success. Um, but if you're just bringing somebody in, it's like, right, there's a database and there's a phone and we expect you to do X amount of calls, which again is bullshit, by the way. But um, well, they're going to they're gonna fail. Um, but that's that's on you as a management team or you as a leader. Like that's on you. You got that completely wrong. Like you didn't give the person, that individual, the tools to be successful. Mm. Yeah, I had a had an interesting chat with Alex, Alex Elliot. Um, yeah, and he was talking the guy's about a legend. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Um, he uh, he was talking about like he thinks you have to be smart to be a recruiter. Like, there has to be some sort of element of intelligence there. Do you think, like, I don't know what your thoughts are that, like, do you, ha- do you think you have to be quite intelligent to be a recruiter or at least intelligent in a certain way? Maybe it's emotional intelligence, not necessarily academic. Um, or can you just be, like, a workhorse? Um. There's definitely Luke. Alex Elliott is a legend. Like, been there, done it, got the T-shirt, doing it again. Um, the I think there's probably an element to it. Like, you you clearly you need to have some form of intelligence, like you do for every job. Um, and it doesn't matter doesn't matter what it is. But I think with recruitment, <clears throat> your market will dictate. I think that level of intelligence. Like, what what are you going to go in into? Um, like what type of recruitment is it, is it going, is it, is it that you're going into? Um, you definitely need that level of emotional intelligence. Like absolutely. Um, like self-awareness is massive in recruitment. Um, going back to what we said earlier, it's like that, that barrier to entry is, is really low in recruitment. And that, that is a, that is a major, major positive. Um, but that doesn't mean you just hire anybody. Like off the street, like that person, that person's still going to go through that person's still going to go through an interview process. Like you're still going to try and understand that person's motivations. Like you're still going to try and push them on their experiences, their career. So, um, yeah, you don't just, you're not just taking anybody off the street. Um, that would just be madness. So I think there does need to be a, yeah, of course there is. There needs to be a form of intelligence, um, because you're spinning a lot of plates, especially in 360, you know, you've got your candidate piece, your client piece, You've got your negotiation piece. You've got, you've got to be able to run a process. You've got to be able to negotiate fees. Um, so yeah, there, there does need to there does need to be an element of intelligence. Of course, of course, there does. Yeah, and there's definitely some agencies, by the way, who do take any person off the street. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I, I'm aware, I can't I'm aware comment of on those things. <laughs> it's mad, actually. It's, it, honestly, I, I actually know um, I know someone who worked at one. I won't mention any names, but. It was hilarious because basically their their tagline was that they hire really like analytical people. Like they have like this really stringent process. 
But if you look at who they were hiring, they, they would hire 10 people. And I, I know there's so many agencies do this. They hire like 10 or 15 people at the go with the plan to sack 10 of them. And right. maybe three will leave and then two might stay. And these, and, and not saying that you, like I said, you have to come from an academic background or whatever, but it was like, there was no strategy there. Like we're talking and a complete like eclectic mix of a bunch of people like, um, delivery drivers, checkout staff. Um, just think that you know the type of jobs you do when you're trying to get your way through college or something or post school. Um, yeah, it is funny how how some recruiters how recruiters hire. But with regards to like you, you know, especially with three sixty roles, one thing I really struggled with in my earlier in my sales career, not even in recruitment, I sort of was getting a grasp on it by the time I started in recruitment in 2015. But one thing I didn't realize to be a good salesperson, to be a good recruiter is your ability to like be productive, be organized and, and plan your day or plan your week or whatever. And, and just generally be disciplined around what you're doing. What's your process at the moment? Like, how do you plan your day? How do you plan your week? How do you stay productive and disciplined? Yeah, I think the key word that you've just mentioned, mate, is, is is disciplined. Like that's that's absolutely massive. Um, in terms of like my my process and structure, um, it I've reverted back to 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 what I did um sort of back in twenty twenty twelve when I've started. So it's it, it's a day plan. Um, clearly it's a little bit more advanced than that now. It's not just written in a pad of who 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 am I calling, but. Um, yeah, my 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 day structured. Um, so uh, and so's so's Riz Adams and, and Joe's. So we all we all sort of follow follow the same suit. So we you know we aim to um, you know speak to um, speak to candidates, but before nine o'clock, um, <clears throat> we then go into sort of from nine till half eleven, twelve. It's it's a, a business development strategy. Um, which is planned, like I, like I said earlier, like we know who we're calling and why. Um, and that's a mix of cold calling. That's a mix of clients that we're currently working with. That's a mix of, um, <clears throat> you know, people that, um, you know, people that have got adverts and all, all that sort all that sort of good stuff. So it's, it's, it's structured. Um, and then the afternoon is, well, what does your business need? It's like, do you need to deliver on X, Y, Z? Like what, what live roles have you got? Do you need to deliver on that? So, is it sourcing? Is it shortlisting? Is it organizing interviews? Um, is it candidate registrations? Because everything for us, it's we're either meeting our candidates face to face or it's over over teams um, before they're being before they're being put forward. Um, and then the other thing is face to face client meetings and teams client meetings. So our afternoons are are teed up so that we're meeting candidates, um, we're delivering for clients, or we're or we're, or we're meeting clients. Like that's how our how our days are structured. Might seem a little regimented, but works for us. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll continue to do that. And and do you use like any sort of? Um, I know there's like the I think it's called the Eisenhower matrix. You know, you've got the the important but urgent, urgent not important, that sort of thing. Do you have like a um? Maybe maybe let's just talk about how you organize things generally. Like, let's talk about outside of work then. Like, do you have do you have that in yeah. your mind? Do you, do you use like lists, or do you use like any sort of like particular technique, or is it just 
just you know spending the time planning it outside of work mate danielle my wife she does everything um, so, uh, so outside of work things are taken care of from uh, from danielle and delilah my, my little one so so outside of work i don't i don't i don't really need to think um so 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 but but from an insider work yet yeah, going back to what you've just said i'll have my i'll have my to-do list of like super urgent urgent can take a bit of time doing so that'll be the, the first part of the plan like that's that's on the day plan um and it's like i have to get that done um you know that you know subject to to what the what the urgency is but i've got i've got to get that done um at some point throughout the day um and then the rest of it is just 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 how i said mate it's 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 that structured disciplined focus so because i know if i do that and if if i execute that day plan well, come the end of the day when when me and the guys are, are jumping on a, a team's call, it's like I can confidently confidently say, well, this is what I've done today. Um, this is this is what's been executed, and 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 we and we, you know, we share each day. We share the wins of the day, um, and we and we and we talk through it. We also share the challenges of the day because it's a startup, so of course there's going to be loads. And but you, it's really tough to to be able to sit there at the end of the day um if you've been winging it all day um just just makes it 10 times harder for yourself yeah yeah for sure that's that's something generally that's something that that was (laughs) i always get flashbacks whenever i talk about it it gives me anxiety to be honest but um my sales director come in one day i was working as a field sales exec selling like waste management services it's my first like proper suit and tie company car job thought i'd made it yeah I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Like, didn't know how to write a to-do list. And I remember my um, my sales director. He was like, "What's your plan for the week then?" And I was like, "I was like, what do you mean?" I just had no concept of organization, and uh, yeah. he had to show me how to do a to-do list. And I knew at that moment I was going to get fired. So it's a uh, it's it's a, a topic close to my heart. Um, but with discipline as well, right? Is that something that you were like going back to your your sporting days, is that something that you just had going into the industry, or do you, do you did you have to develop it? Um, I think the, the discipline, like going back to sport, um, it, it was highly disciplined. Like every every everything, um, you know, to to do with rugby and athletics, which which were what I was heavily involved in. Like everything had structure, whether it was training, team team meetings, analysis. Um, you know, come game day when you were racing, um, and I was in I was in that environment for for a long time. Um, a lot of it came from from I suppose my brothers and, and my dad as well. Um, we we were all sort of that way that we because of how heavily involved we all were in sport. Um, there was a lot of structure and there's a lot of discipline. Then get into recruitment, and it's like. Right, I'm looking at the top performers. I remember looking at like week two and I'm looking at the UK top performer and looking at the amount of money they're billing per week. It's like, right, I need to speak to that guy. I need to understand how he's doing that. Um, and and I did, like, and everything he did was disciplined. It was super structure and he, he, was, he was a top performer. He was billing a hell of a lot of money um, and everything was to do with structure. I also had a fantastic manager when I, when I first started, um, a guy called Matt Abraham. He was awesome. 
taught me a hell of a lot, but and, and he was a top performer. You know, one of those proper billing managers, like the guy couldn't do enough for you, but he was delivering for his candidates and clients every single day. Everything he did was structure and discipline. So you then come from that sporting background where it's structure, discipline, um, move into recruitment. It's like, right, my manager's like that. The top performer in the UK, and he was one of the top performers in the world for, for half, well, well, he's doing it like that. And you combine it with being highly competitive, um, which I still am, it, it, yeah, it just meshed together really nicely. Yeah. Well, awesome, mate. Awesome. Um, one thing you ever mentioned, you mentioned as well was the, the sharing of the challenges, like every day and sharing of the wins. That's, that's quite interesting. Cause I don't think a lot of, a lot of people do that. I think they sort of skim over that. And like, how, how have you found that helps the team then? Is it just sort of like, um, normalizing, making mistakes, makes people, you know, feel part, more part of a team or. Yeah. I think the combination of all of that, I think just something, mate, there's no such thing as a mistake, right? Is it, there's a learning opportunity. Um, and if you don't reflect on something that's been challenging in a day or in a week, um, how can you then change that behavior? Um, how can you then mitigate the impact next time round? So, so I think it's been a couple of things. It's the reason we do it is for that togetherness, that camaraderie. It's like we, we celebrate the little wins and the little win could be that you, you know, you did a hand, you did X amount of cold calls and you booked a client meeting with somebody you know is going to be hiring. Um, so it could be something as small as that. Um, I think the challenges piece um, is like, didn't get through it anyone today. Or I booked in client meeting, um, all confirmed, got ghosted. Um, candidate didn't turn up for interview, even though like they were committed, they were prepped, like all that good stuff. So it's it's just normalizing this type of stuff. Um, but then when when we you know when I sit down with the guys at, at the end of the week and we we do it individually. Like we, we talk through, it's like, right, well, X, Y, Z happened. What, what can we learn from it? What, what's the, what's the biggest learn for the week? Um, and we, and we, and we talk through it and I talk, talk through my biggest challenges, like my biggest learning opportunities or my biggest fuck ups, right? Cause we're all human. Like we have them. So it's, it's normalizing that like, it's okay. Like people are going to, you're going to make a mistake. Um, and just talking through it. And I think, you know, we're, we're a tight knit group. Um, I've, I've worked with Riz now for, for nearly 10 years. I think Adam is five, six years. We've, we've worked together. Joe's been like a year and a half. Um, but we're, but we're tight knit because we talk about that type of stuff. Yeah, mate, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's really good. And I think it's actually, it's actually something that is really key with creating that positive culture. Because I think when people go into recruitment, a lot of them go into these sort of like boiler room mentalities where they get beasted and any mistake they're pounced on. And you, yeah. then you also get, you get to that point, don't you, where you're like, you have a complete fear of failure and you don't, it's funny because when you try and focus on not making mistakes, sometimes that's when you make the most mistakes, right? Because you sort of get like yeah. deer in the headlights. Yeah, cool. like, of course it is. Like it's um like you go back to you know, you go back to sport. Like if you're super anxious about, about something, like put it in a rugby, it's like right, you 
<clears throat> you're making a play and it's like, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball. What's going to happen? You're going to drop the ball, right? Because you have that fear of failure. You already have that nervous energy and, 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 and anxiety. And I think a lot of, a lot of businesses, well, I can only comment on two previous businesses, but other businesses, like when they're doing the kickoff or the wrap up or stand up or whatever you want to call it, it's all, it's all about how many calls you're going to, how many calls you're going to do today. Um, how many specs are you going to send out a day? It's it's all volume driven. Nobody learns from that. They either hit the target or they don't. Um, and a, a good day in those types of environments is, did I get my 500 mass spam specs sent out? Yes, I did. Yeah. That's what I deem a good day. It's like, that's not a good day. Like, so, but they're not getting an opportunity to to then talk about I suppose the crap talk about the small wins um in an open forum so like you get that sort of nervous energy and that anxiety that might be happening in in people's like weekly catch-ups and stuff but um how good would it be to talk about it every day and be in an environment where you can talk about it every day and openly in front of other people right because like you said if, if it's going on in a one-on-one that's great but if everyone you know if no one's seeing that apart from the two people in that conversation then it's not really going to affect the culture, is it? And it's, yeah. I mean, how great is it being in an environment in any industry, in sport, in business, whatever, where, you know, you, you don't fear making a mistake and that way you're sort of allowing people to try new things. You're allowing people to take creative risks and innovate and actually try and push outside their comfort zone. Um, Whereas if you punish people for making a mistake, and we are, like you said, you, it, this is this is the other thing as well. I think people look at people like, you know, successful people like you or um, their, their sort of online influencers they follow online. Like, you know, there's quite a few good sales trainers, cold calling experts on, on LinkedIn that I follow. And you sort, of, you sort of fall into that trap of just thinking that everything they do is amazing um, based on their content or whatever. Yeah, and the reality is, no, they they are making constant mistakes as well. But it's just about yeah. understanding that that's part of being human and 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 part of the learning process. Because there's like social media glamorizes all things that are great and showcases all things all things that are great. But it, you know, it doesn't it it doesn't show you like there's a lot of crap that goes on in the industry as well, and there's lots of crap in in every every industry that goes on, and social media doesn't always always show that um so it's 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 about creating that environment where it's all right to talk about the challenges because if you talk about the challenges you mitigate the impact next time and you get that one percent better every day that's what that's what i believe anyway i know you know everybody's different and everybody will you know people will probably be listening to this and think god max is talking a load of crap but um, that's just my opinion yeah no, I, I totally agree with you mate and um, just to finish this off mate i think it would just be interesting to get your point of view of where the future of recruitment is going, you know, with, with all the stuff that gets talked about uh, around AI, you know, chat GPT and where that's all going. Um, and maybe even like how we work and how we operate with our clients, you know, there's obviously, yeah. When, when was it? I think it was last year, like four day or early this year, even like four day work weeks and, you know, sort of restructuring of not just recruitment, but, how people work generally 
Um, where do yeah. you feel like recruitment's going over the next like five years or so? Loads to unpack there, mate. Um, loads to unpack there. I think um, to, in terms of AI and chat, GBT, um, I think I've been quite vocal, shock, in my opinion, on that on LinkedIn. Um, has its place. Um, I can totally understand why recruiters, why candidates, why clients would use it for CVs being written, job adverts, for potentially even being part of part of a process, totally get it. You will never get away from the fact that recruitment is a sales and a consultative role, right? Or industry. You'll never get away from the fact that it's an industry driven by relationships, driven by partnerships. Some of my clients from when I was back in Edinburgh are, are now great friends. Um, you're going to really struggle to do that if you're not picking up the phone, you're not jumping on teams, you're not meeting these people face-to-face -face and actually building relationships. I think that AI and ChatGBT will actually make the industry more transactional, which is what I totally want to stay away from and, and what Force Talent wants to totally stay away from. However, I also think it creates a unique opportunity for those businesses for Talent being one of them, that want to drive relationships, want to drive partnerships, and want to do things face-to-face, -face, teams, phone. Um, because if if clients and candidates, you know, are getting spammed by AI, chat, GBT, which, which they are, I think while we've been on this call, I've had a number of DMs in my LinkedIn that, that all look like that because you can spot it a mile off. Um, it creates an opportunity for um, for businesses out there that, that aren't going to, use it or, or aren't going to use it to the extent that some other businesses will. Um, and there's been other, you know, there's been a lot of other recruitment leaders and, and business owners that have been quite vocal about this topic as well, that, that I think agree with me on this. Um, so yeah, that's where I think it's going in terms of, of AI and, and chat GBT. Are you optimistic about the future of recruitment? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have set a business up in June if, if I wasn't, um, I've got a really ambitious plan over the next 10 years of, of where I want to take this business. And I wouldn't have done that if, um, you know, I, I wasn't really serious about it. And if I was nervous about what the, what the future looked like, I certainly wouldn't have asked raise Adam and Joe to, to come with me because, you know, they've got their mortgages, they've got their bills to pay. And to a degree, I'm, I'm responsible for that. So I wouldn't have asked them to come on the journey with me if, that was a doubt in my mind. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people get found out um, over the next 12, 18 months. I think it's already started to happen. There are lots of cowboys and cowgirls in the industry who do want to be just transactional. Um, I think those people will will get will get found out. Um, I think I said it to you right at the start. I think we're in a market where <clears throat> accountancy and finance um, in a good economy everybody needs an accountant and in a struggling economy, everybody needs an accountant. I think there are industries that, that have been really hit um, over the last 12 months, but you can, you can start to see like things are, things are starting to change again. Um, things are starting to become more positive in, in those markets and in those industries. People are starting to become quite vocal about it. Um, 
So yeah, I'm I'm really positive, optimistic about what the what the future is going to look like for for the recruitment industry. There's going to be lots of challenges along the way. Um, there's going to be lots of industry changes. There's there's going to be things that happen that you've got to roll with. You've got to be agile. You've got to pivot. You've got to move. Um, but if you can do that, you'll you'll be really really successful. Um, but everything we've spoke about sort of on here, mate. It it goes back to the business owners, the leadership, um, anybody that we are bringing into this industry. Give them the best tools possible to be successful. Give them the best start to facilitate and help them have a great career in recruitment because it's a bloody awesome industry when you get it right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Well, what a nice note to end on. Um, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. If people want to connect with you or work with you, where do they need to go? Mate, just come straight to my, uh, straight to my LinkedIn page. Um, the, Max Learmonth, um, hit me up. We can have a chat. Um, always here to, uh, to to help any candidates, clients, or even recruiters that, that want to have a chat about the industry. Um, so please feel free to uh, feel free to drop me a message. Great to uh, great to be on, Dave. Thanks for inviting me on, mate.